Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Malik Parekh about the future of work and five things you can do to future-proof careers and companies. Malik Parekh, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, thank you, John, for having me. Really yeah, thank you so much for joining me. It's morning uh, there on the other, other side of the world, and it's evening for me here in Utah. We're, I'm excited to discuss with you today something that's just vital, so incredibly important, and that is the future of work. There's so much that can fit under this umbrella. We're going to be focusing on five things that we can do to future-proof careers and companies as we move into an uncertain future. Uh, as we get started, I wanted to share Malik's bio with everybody. Based in Singapore, Malik is an avid entrepreneur, highly sought-after keynote speaker, and best-selling author of Future-Proof Your Career and Company. Over the years, with his popular leadership seminars and workshops, he has inspired over 10,000 leaders and prepared them for the increasingly disruptive future. Prior to his entrepreneurial and literary ventures, Malik was an award-winning CEO of global companies such as Inspiro and SPI Global. Under his leadership, these companies won over 100 awards, including Best Company of the Year, Best Employer of the Year, and Best Leadership Team of the Year. He was recognized as the ICT CEO of the Year. Malik holds an international MBA from the Thunderbird School of Global Management. When he's not busy future-proofing leaders, he is busy child-proofing his home for his two young daughters. What a wonderful background. Thank you again for joining me. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of uh, personal context before we dive on in? No, you covered everything, John. So looking forward to having a good conversation. Great, great. Well, thank you so much. Um, so as we get started, you know, let's let's kind of frame things up uh, generally uh, with this conversation around the future of work. Why is the next decade shaping up to be one of the most disruptive uh, of all time? And what does that mean for the future of work? Yeah, you know, uh, when you look around, uh, John, nowadays, uh, everybody's very busy with uh, what's happening with COVID-19 um, and uh, the havoc it has uh, created uh, within uh, different countries and especially uh, within the business community. But uh, because we are so focused on what's happening with COVID-19, uh, we tend to take our eyes off of the threats and some of the potential dangers that are lurking just behind the horizon. And I'm talking about three disruptive forces that are gaining momentum, they are gaining strength, uh, and uh, they're gaining speed. And I'm talking about artificial intelligence. I'm talking about uh, the arrival in large scale of digital natives and the gig economy. You know, according to a recent uh, study done by McKinsey, 
up to 375 million jobs are at risk because of artificial intelligence and automation over the next 10 years. Uh, digital natives, you know, we, we tend to kind of, you know, frown upon them. Uh, we, we think that they are the interns or the entry-level employees, but uh, very soon they'll be sitting in positions of power. By, two -third, by 2030, two-thirds of the global workforce will be made up of uh, digital natives such as millennials and Gen Zers. So we better start paying attention to them. And the third thing, uh, the gig economy is very important. Uh, you know, recently there was a study done um, where they asked the freelancers, the people who made a transition from the traditional employment to the freelancing world, what would it take for them to go back to traditional employment? Um, would any amount of money bring them back? And they said, no, 51%. So clearly, people have started to pay attention to the currency that now we call freedom. Uh, and that's becoming more popular. People are more craving of freedom given a chance to choose between money and the freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Autonomy, flexibility is the name of the game. And people don't want to be tied down to a particular geographic location. Um, and increasingly, they don't want to be tied to a particular company. They, they want, you know, that's why the gig economy is, is grown, um, you know, so steadily over time. And just the, 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 uh, the growth has gone a bit exponential in, in recent years. And, and the pandemic has only accelerated this, right? Because exactly. now more and more people, even those who may not have been comfortable previously with remote work after a year and a half, they're like, yeah, I really like remote work. <laughs> and, yeah. and so more people are just demanding that they have work from home, uh, accommodations, remote work flexibility, uh, and, and particularly younger millennial and Gen Z workers in the workforce, you know, they really expect this. They expect the flexibility. And if, if companies aren't willing to offer it, they're going to lose out on a huge swath of the labor force. No, absolutely. There was a study done by Perkbox in the UK recently, and they asked people, what is the number one reason for work-related stress in your life? And you would think that maybe it's overwork. Maybe their bosses are just giving them so much work. It's not. It's actually office politics. So uh, one of the reasons people are shifting to freelancing is because they decide who they work with, which is the primary driver of stress at work. Now they have a, re they have a choice between which client to work with, which people to work with. And that, that, uh, that's so powerful and it's priceless for most people. Uh, something else to keep in mind about uh, freelancing is that uh, approximately, you know, around 36% of the U.S. workforce today is involved in some freelancing. And a lot of the times when we think about freelancing, John, we, we think of, uh, you know, people who are driving Uber, for example, or people who are delivering pizza at home. That's not the case. Almost 45% of the freelancers have highly, they are highly trained, highly accomplished, professionals in the field of marketing, IT, design, you name it. So the world of freelancing is significantly bigger than what we think it is when we think of that word. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly the Ubers of the world, you know, that's, that's a portion, but we're, we're fooling ourselves if we think that's the majority. And really, when we think about the traditional organization, um, that's not the threat, right? Um, you know, for XYZ Corporation, they need to be thinking about 
the gig economy. They need to be thinking about digital natives. They need to be thinking about what it means for them in tapping into the, the labor that they need to, you know, bring value to the marketplace. And if increasingly, if, if uh, employees, if, if people either want to work for multiple organizations as a gig worker, as a freelancer, or they just want, you know, remote work options and flexibility, companies are going to have to figure out how to um, meet those demands, meet those needs. Otherwise, again, they'll, they'll lose out. Uh, and so, and, it, and we can't just dismiss it as saying, oh, that's Uber, you know, that's Airbnb, you know, people doing Airbnbs and, you know, all these different types of things. No, like there, there's platforms like Upwork and so many different uh, yeah. places where people can just get connected. You can rent the talent you need. And so, you know, we need to, to think differently about work. We need to think differently about labor. We need to think differently about how we're going to tap into the skill sets of of people out there. And the reality is, you know, in this, in this labor market, it's, it's difficult in the U S right now, it's difficult for companies to find good people. And that, that was the case, uh, particularly in STEM fields and in tech type of fields, it was already so difficult to find, attract and retain really good people. Now it's even harder, um, because people recognize, you know, that they, they have leverage in, in the labor market and they can pick and choose where they want to go. So we, we just have to, to be more adaptive, uh, more quickly so that we can make sure that we're getting good skill, skill, good skilled labor. And, and this also brings up the other point that that's related. And that is, you know, how do we, we can't just always go external to the company to find the skills that we need. We need to proactively think about uh, upskilling and reskilling our current workforce, people that are already in our organization, and preparing them for the future, um, the the competencies and capabilities for the future of work, the new types of jobs, the new types of um, uh, tasks that they're going to have to be able to perform. No, absolutely. You know, uh, to add to what you just mentioned, uh, one of the things that the companies would need to do is to create a culture of entrepreneurship, right? Um, in the past, employers used to compete with other employers for talent. Now, they're not only competing with other employers next door, they're competing with employers on the other side of the world, but also they're competing with people's innate desire to be an entrepreneur. So what is the best way to overcome that? Uh, the best way to overcome that is to create a culture within your organization that promotes entrepreneurship. So if people come up with new ideas, let's not, you know, bring it down and say, oh, we tried that before and it didn't work. Oh no, that's not how we do things here. Instead, create an environment where people can actually come up with new ideas. And if those are good ideas for the companies, then people should be able to manifest them as well. So why, you know, Netflix and Google, for example, or Spotify receive thousands of resumes for every single job post that they have. Because people know that if I work for these companies, I'm not going to be just a number. I'm not just going to be one of the sheep in the herd. I am going to be the one whose voice is going to matter. And if I have ideas, I would be able to manifest it. So if you can create that kind of a culture, that is going to be very, very powerful. Something else that you just briefly talked about, which is 
how do we upskill and reskill? Look at uh, Amazon and look at AT&T, um, two great examples. Both of these companies in the last couple of years have announced multi-billion dollar upskilling and reskilling programs for their employees. Amazon is specifically interested in upskilling and reskilling their warehouse employees because all of it is automated now. So a lot of these employees have an opportunity to learn new technical skills, learn coding skills, the skills that Amazon needs. So they are really taking a very strategic approach, which is the reactive approach. They are kind of planning their human resources strategy, their upskilling strategy over the next 10 years. AT&T is doing the same thing. Majority of their employees just until recently were focused on hardware jobs. But guess what? The world is shifting to software in the telecommunications. So now they are in a process of upskilling and reskilling their employees who only knew how to work on the hardware. And now they are training them to uh, do other things in the organization that they need. So every company would need to look at their reskilling and upskilling strategy. A lot of the times I have been a CEO myself and it's very easy as a CEO to put the learning and development department the farthest from you. It becomes kind of your lowest priority because it's a cost center, no longer. It has to be part of your revenue center because unless you upskill and reskill employees, you won't be able to survive. You won't be able to thrive in the next uh, disruptive decade. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. So just in, in the last couple minutes, you've, you've laid out several different types of characteristics or traits of the future-looking organization for companies to be successful in the future of work. Um, you know, you, you talked about just this, this talent development mentality that organizations have to have uh, in order to, you know, so I see that as a growth mindset. Collectively, as an organization, we need to have a growth mindset. We need to recognize that none of us are complacent, none of us are stagnant, none of us have arrived at where we're going, where we need to be. Um, we all are going to continually develop, reskill, upskill, and develop ourselves. Um, not only for you know, it, even if we stay in our same job, you know, whatever the same job is, or if we end up transitioning into it an entirely new type of job. Um, so th that kind of future-oriented growth mindset kind of 
trait, I think is super, super important. Uh, something else you mentioned was the entrepreneurial spirit uh, within a corporation. And, and I see that going hand in hand with a growth mindset. I also, I, I think so often when we talk about psychologically unhealthy organizations, um, it's synonymous with like squashing any of the entrepreneurial spirit that people might have, right? Because it's yeah. top down, it's hierarchical. And instead of giving voice to, to anyone and everyone with a good idea and giving them opportunities to, to grow and expand into those, those cool ideas, you know, they get squashed. Uh, and so we need to get past that. We need to flatten the hierarchy. We need to, whether, whether it's like actually flattened in terms of the, in terms of the org chart or just the mentality, the, the, the culture, um, where everyone is seen as a contributor who, and, and, and we value like meaningful contributions. Like it, it doesn't really matter where you're at in the company. What matters more is that you have great ideas and that you can bring them to implementation. Um, that that's going to re be required more and more and more. Um, another piece of this, and it's kind of been tied into uh, what you've been saying, but I think we need companies in, in the future of work, uh, we, in the future economy, we need companies that connect their vision, their mission, their purpose to the meaning, purpose, fulfillment of the individuals working for the organization. Uh, so companies with a strong purpose orientation, I think, are also going to fare much better. Uh, any thoughts on on how to do that? Uh, how to connect? I, you know, particularly, I think of you know younger millennial and Gen Z. Man, we we know that they want to make a difference in the world. They want to drive change. Um, and unless we can give them that opportunity within our business, they're either going to go somewhere else, or they're going to start their own business, or or whatever, and we're going to lose out. No, absolutely. You know, Milton Friedman, one of the renowned economists, wrote an article in New York Times in 1971, and he said that uh, the only purpose of a business is to create profit and create value for its shareholder. It doesn't have any social responsibility to the community, to the country, to the world that they are part of. Clearly, at that time, he had not met the millennials and Gen Zers yet. So he was mistaken. And the world is changing, mainly driven by the generational shift that we are looking at uh, in our world today. Uh, there were multiple studies done, John, uh, about uh, what are the qualities of a company millennials and Gen Zers look for before selecting which company they work for. And one of the top ones is whether the company has an overarching purpose, whether the company is devoted to making a difference in the world, uh, whether it's uh, for a social cause, whether it's for environmental cause, it doesn't really matter. As long as companies doing more than just minting money, they are really, really focused on that. And there are uh, millennials and there are Gen Zers who would actually take a pay cut to work for a company they feel is more aligned with their values and the purpose they have in their life than the companies that don't exhibit that. And we see that uh, movement quite a bit in the, in the world today. So the key thing is a company has to take a step back and say, gone are the days when we can literally just write one paragraph in our annual report and put a picture of our CEO writing a big, huge check to a charity, and that's pretty much it. And uh, if you ask the company, hey, who is doing your CSR? Well, there are those two people sitting in a cubicle. That's their 
job. That's the only thing they do. Their job is to focus on the CSR. Well, that doesn't work anymore. The CSR, your corporate social responsibility, has to permeate throughout your organization. And it starts at the very top. It starts at the very top with the board, with the CEO, all the way down to the frontline employees. It has to permeate in every activity do. And a lot of the times, you know, for example, you, you, you take um, companies like, um, and I give a few examples in uh, my uh, book here, JetBlue, for example. What is the purpose of JetBlue? They want to make the life friendlier, both on earth as well as on the ground, because they realize that when people are traveling, they get upset, they get stressed out, and they want to create a friendlier environment. That's their purpose. It's not changing the whole world. It's about making people's life easier when they're traveling. And so their entire culture is built around that. Zappos, what is the purpose of Zappos? Their purpose is to deliver happiness. Think about it. The only thing they do is deliver shoes. Yeah. But they realize that they're not delivering shoes. They're delivering the smiles when they see their customers receiving the packages that they are delivering. So they are delivering happiness. So their entire culture is built around how do we create the culture where our employees are so excited to bring this box of happiness to their customers. So companies have to actually take a step back and say, is there a purpose that aligns with our product or our service that we can all rally behind? That's not only good for the company, but it's also good for the community. Yeah, absolutely. Triple bottom line, CSR. Um, there's a lot of different ways of framing um, this orientation, but definitely there's been a shift in, and the younger workforce in particular demands it. They, they only want to work for organizations um, that, that have that kind of um, purpose built, permeated throughout the organization. Uh, and so we, we definitely need to, to pay attention to that. We've already talked a little bit about you know, entrepreneurial spirit that can help drive innovation. Certainly digital transformation is at the heart of a lot of disruption and a lot of transformation happening within organizations. And so everyone needs to uh, get on the bandwagon and, and start adapting or, or they're going to die. Uh, they're really going to fall way behind. Um, you know, as we get into our last few minutes together today and start to wrap things up, you know, paint a picture for us. The journey ahead is turbulent. Uh, you know, there's going to be continued disruption. The drivers of change, as you mentioned, are just intensifying. You identified three main drivers of change, but you know, there's a whole bunch, and they're all intensifying. Yeah. The, and and the the reality is, um, most jobs as we know them today, most careers as we know them today, ten years from now, will either not exist or have gone fundamental transformation <laughs> uh, and, and look very different and we'll be doing all sorts of different things. Um, so, so paint that picture for us a little bit and help us understand like what, what should we look for coming ahead? And, and, uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up and, and think about what we really should do to future-proof our own career. Well, uh, you, you kind of uh, summarize it uh, really well, John. Um, the two things that companies really need to focus on doing, and in addition to what we just discussed earlier, number one, they have to go through a massive digital transformation. And a lot of the times people think digital transformation is about technology. It's not. 
digital transformation is about three primary goals. Number one, how can you improve your customer experience? Number two, how can you improve your employee experience? And number three, do you need to completely revamp or adjust your business model? And I give an example of Domino's Pizza. You know, Domino's Pizza went through a major digital transformation over the last 12 years. Uh, I used to live in the US, very close to you, John, uh, in Colorado. And I used to be a fan of uh, Domino's Pizza. One thing, one pet peeve I had was there are only two ways to deliver or order pizza back then. Either you call a 1-800 number or you walk into their store and pick up and go home. Now they have given you 15 different ways to order Domino's Pizza, all because of the digital transformation. They have an app for it. You can talk to Alexa, you can talk to Google Home, and that can deliver uh, the pizza for you. What happened to Pizza Hut? Pizza Hut just filed for bankruptcy last year. Why? Because they did not go through this digital transformation, whereas Domino's did. And their revenue last year during the pandemic increased by 20%. So digital transformation is a key for any business. And I think every business has to look at the way Domino's did. You know, they said, we are no longer a pizza company. We are a technology company that happens to be in the pizza business. So every industry, every company has to ask the same question. Can we be a technology company that serves in industry A, B, or C? That's number one. And the second thing I think companies need to do is to become innovative by nature. And innovation is not uh, taking your C-suite to the Silicon Valley for a boondoggle trip and then you know sip wine in the Napa Valley. That's not where the innovation will actually happen. Innovation is about defining what strategy do you want to subscribe to? Are you going for incremental innovation? Are you going for adjacent innovation? Are you going for transformational innovation? And then putting together a strategy to execute it. If you can do those things, then obviously you are ready to embrace the future that's coming ahead of us. Yeah, very well said. Well, Malik, it has been a real pleasure. The The time has flown by. Uh, so many wonderful insights. I think we could continue on and on and on, and this discussion could be never ending. Um, but to be respectful of your time and to let you get on with your day, uh, I do want to get you know things wrapped up. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, uh, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. Well, um, my book is available on Amazon. It's called Future Proof Your Career and Company. Uh, and they can get more information about my other initiatives, other projects uh, at my website, uh, www.maulikparek.com. And all my social media handles are there. So if they would like to tag along, then I would love to have them uh, tag along with me. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Again, I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Malik can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. You can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different 
than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.